Well, if I asked you um, who were the most important people in your life, I wonder how you'd answer. Question, who are the people you care about the most in your life? I think for a lot of us, the answer would have to involve family in that answer. For a lot of us, it's going to be the people who are close to us, who are related to us, that mean the most to us. So if you've got children, they are precious to you, I'm told. If you're married, your husband or wife is precious to you. Um, If you're not married, it might be your parents, your grandparents, your brothers and sisters, who mean a lot to you, who you care deeply about. And for others, it's friends who take the place of family members. Sometimes, maybe for whatever reason, family doesn't feel that close to us, but we have friends who we care about and who are very precious to us. But how do we know that someone is precious to us? I think one very important answer to that is how much we're prepared to make sacrifices for them. More than that, how much we're prepared to suffer for someone is not an indication of how much they mean to us, how much we care about them. We know we care about someone if we're willing to make sacrifices for them. A few years ago I shared a flat um, with a guy who was engaged to be married. And about four months before the wedding, um, he decided he really wanted to impress his bride-to-be on their wedding night. So he wanted to be at the peak of physical fitness for her. So he bought himself a machine designed to sort of flatten his stomach. I think it's an abdominizer or something. And give him what is known in the trade as a six-pack to impress this, this bride of his. And to be honest, when he got out of the box, I was pretty dubious. This friend of mine, I knew he, he had a tendency to buy things and then just quickly discard them. He wasn't actually that committed to some of the things he did buy. So I thought, he likes his bed too much, he's not going to get up and use this every morning. But actually, I was wrong. And my bedroom was directly below his, and every morning, I would hear him get out of bed and do his exercises on this machine, right up until the wedding. And the exercises were pretty exhausting for him. He did complain quite a lot about them. But the thing was, his future wife was precious to him. And he felt she was worth a bit of effort and even physical pain to show her on the wedding night just how much he loved her. So he stuck with the abdominizer. And I remember talking to another friend of mine um, more recently who had just become a father. And again, it was amazing just hearing him talk about that experience. He told me when he first saw his baby in the hospital, he said he was amazed at the realization that he would do absolutely anything to keep her safe. That suddenly this little girl was the most precious thing in the world to him. And he would do anything to care for her and to protect her. He knew his baby daughter was precious to him because he was willing to make sacrifices for her. See, those are the people who are precious to us. I want to see this morning in Acts chapter 20 that that is how the Apostle Paul felt about other Christians. That is how the Apostle Paul felt about the church. See, in Acts chapter 20, Paul is nearing the end of his third missionary journey. He's on his way to Jerusalem, where he's been warned that he will be arrested and imprisoned. And the rest of the book of Acts will record his long journey to Rome to stand trial before the Roman Emperor, Caesar. So here in Acts 20, it's one of the last times we get to read about Paul as a free man. See, this chapter is also the only recorded speech of Paul's in the whole book of Acts where he's addressing Christians primarily. 
So the answer to that, as we've seen over the past few weeks, is on the spread of the Christian message across the known world. So Luke records primarily attempts to explain the gospel to non-Christians, people who don't yet understand who Jesus is, to Jews and to Gentiles. But see, here in Acts 20, Paul is saying goodbye to a group of church leaders with whom he had spent three years of his life. And he's got important things to say to them. See, this chapter shows just what he feels about this church and how he feels about Christians in Ephesus. And it's a chapter that shows us how precious they are to Paul. See, Paul was a missionary. He was an evangelist. And he, perhaps he was the greatest missionary and evangelist the world has ever seen. But he was also a pastor. He was also someone who cared deeply for the people who had come to trust in Jesus through his message. He was someone who cared deeply for other Christians. And you see, sometimes we can think of that as something separate from evangelism, can't we? We think of evangelism and love for other Christians as two distinct categories. And the Bible's clear. There are people who are uniquely gifted in one or the other sometimes. Some people are gifted to be evangelists. That's their calling. Other people are gifted to be pastors and teachers. That's their calling. You see, what Paul is showing us here is he combined both. And actually, a healthy Christian will always combine both to some degree. A love for people who don't yet know Jesus and a love for those who have come to trust in Jesus and in their welfare as well. See, the church was precious to Paul. He wasn't just in the numbers game. He wasn't just interested in getting people to pray a prayer and then he would leave them. He wanted to care for them and make sure they would keep trusting in Jesus for the rest of their lives. So he's urging these Ephesian elders here to care for God's church, to care for and protect the Christians God has placed under them. And Acts 20 shows us some of the advice he gives these elders. And the question for those of us who are Christians here this morning, we look at this passage, it's very clear. The question really is, how precious are other Christians to you? How precious is God's church to you? See, are you willing to serve other Christians, even when that will involve hard work and may involve suffering sometimes? See, do you think other Christians, and more specifically, do you think the other Christians at Malden Rose are worth suffering for, are worth making sacrifices for? See, do you think that our life together as a church is such a precious thing that you not only make sacrifices yourself, you think, I want people to join this church. I want people to experience the community that I have experienced here. This is something I want to share with people. Because I know there have been times in my own life when I have really treasured the fellowship of other Christians. I've treasured that time of meeting together with other Christians throughout the week. It's may have been hard. So on a Sunday, it was actually the high point of the week. It was meeting with people who loved me, who loved Jesus. And that was a really refreshing time. But there have been other times when I've, I've struggled to care for other Christians, struggled to get along to church. It's felt like a ritual. It's felt like a chore. And I struggle even just to have any love for other Christians. So I don't know which of those positions would better reflect how you feel this morning. You see, either way, we can learn from Paul 
and his words here. Because Paul was convinced that the Christian church was the hope for the world. See, that was why he took his own responsibilities to care for the church so seriously. That was why he urged the Ephesian elders to learn from him. And that's why he speaks to us today through Acts 20. If we will listen to him. So we can learn from Paul that evangelism is not just about sharing the good news of Jesus with people and then leaving them to it. No, you see, it's about welcoming people into a community with others who have been rescued by Jesus. And it's about loving and serving one another in that community as Jesus Christ loved and served us. So in this chapter, we're going to see that according to Paul, the church is worth serving and suffering for, the church is worth protecting, and the church is worth working hard for. And why is that? We're going to see that at the end. We're going to see because the church, other Christians, belong to God. Other Christians have been bought by God, they are precious to him, and they need to be precious to us as well. Now, as we look at these verses, we need to accept this is a, this is, these are words spoken by a Christian leader to other Christian leaders. So as one of the church leaders here this morning, I want to encourage you to look at this chapter and to hold us as a leadership to account. To look at these words and say, well, how does the leadership at Malden Road measure up to Paul's model here? What lessons do we need to learn from Paul in Acts 20? realize I'm asking for trouble there, but do please think about that as we look at this chapter. But again, that doesn't let the rest of us off the hook either, because every Christian needs to hear these words here, because every Christian has a responsibility to love and serve others within the church. Because in some sense, most of us are in a position of Christian leadership. Some of us who are Christian parents are in a position of leadership with our children. We want to see them grow and come to trust in Jesus. Some of us are home group leaders or junior church teachers or youth leaders. And even without that title of leader, the attitudes Paul models here are attitudes that should mould all our relationships with other Christians as we meet together as a church. So let's look at some of these attitudes now. The first one is in verses 18 to 21 here. The church is worth serving and suffering for. I'll just read those verses for us. Verse 18. When they arrived, Paul said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that will be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. See, throughout this chapter, Paul is using himself as an example of the attitudes he wants to see from the Ephesian elders and the attitudes we want to learn from as well. See, Paul, we need to remember, Paul was a fallen human being like us. He was a sinner like us. But he's saying here that God was able to use him to serve his church. And see, God is able to use us as well today. See, a striking thing to see in verse 18 is that Paul's convinced that the Ephesian elders have seen his way of life and service to other Christians from the very first day 
he met them. See, Paul's service has been transparent. It's been there for everyone to see. So he can urge others to follow his service and his example in serving others. See, Paul has integrity here. He asks the elders to follow his example because he has shown those elders how to live, how to serve others. And again, I think that is a challenge for us today, each one of us. See, elsewhere in Paul's letters, he can say the words, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. See, could we say the same to people? See, so often I think of my own weakness, my own sin, my own selfishness. I just, my failure to serve other Christians, and I think, well, it's not about pointing people to me. I need to point them to Jesus. And that is true. You see, the challenge here is, behind what looks like humility on my part, do I lack faith that God really can change me and use me as an example of his grace to other people? See, we saw last term in our series in Luke that the world around us is not impressed by fine-sounding words, by our arguments about who Jesus is and what he's done. Instead, it's impressed by how we live by whether or not our daily attitudes are becoming like Christ's. And the same can be said for the way we serve and care for one another as Christians. You see, of course we are still sinners. Of course we are never going to be fully like Christ before the new creation. But that shouldn't stop us from following Christ's example with prayer and some of the faltering steps, but following it nonetheless. See, we should pray and work towards the integrity that Paul had in Ephesus. So we could say to people, you should be able to see what I believe from the way I live. You should be able to see the way I love you by the way I serve you. See, Paul is a challenge to us here. But then even as Paul urges the elders to serve and care for one another, he's honest with them again. Because he tells them love and care for other Christians will not always be easy. It will involve pain and it will involve tears. Verse 19. I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. Humility and tears. That's what Paul says marked his ministry. And we look at that verse and it sounds really noble, doesn't it? Humility and tears, yes, that's a great way to live. But that can be so painful in reality. So we need to ask ourselves the question, am I humbling myself before the Lord or am I becoming puffed up with pride in my service of others? Do I recognize that I need Jesus every day of my life and apart from him, I can do nothing? Because that is the humility that Paul is talking about here. Because any form of Christian service can lead to pride when someone thanks us for helping them. We begin to see that actually, I think I am beginning to love that other Christian a bit more than I used to. We become proud about that as we work towards and pray towards becoming more Christ-like 
and God begins to bless us with signs that that's happening, we can then fall into pride attitudes and comparing ourselves favourably with the people around us. You see, we need to acknowledge every step of every day that we can do nothing without Christ. And we need to be humble about that in our dealings with others. Because, you see, the way we view one another matters, Paul tells us here. See, we're all so quick to spot pride in other people, aren't we? We see someone being a bit proud, but they're just so cocky, aren't they? But we're thinking, basically, what that means is because they're not giving me the honour that I want. Why is everyone talking about him? Why don't they talk about me a bit more? See, pride is one of the most besetting sins of any Christian. And the more we think we've beaten it, we've actually succumbed to it. So how can we deal with our pride? If we accept it's a problem, how do we deal with it? Well, Paul gives us the key to that in verses 20 and 21. Because he tells us that we need to hear the gospel of Jesus again and again and to see ourselves through the lens of that gospel. Verse 20 and 21. You know I have not hesitated to preach anything that will be helpful to you. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. See, verse 21 tells us the message of the gospel. And the gospel humbles all of us. See, the gospel is not just for people who aren't yet Christians. See, Christians need to hear the gospel every day. Because then we'll recognise that there's no place for pride in our service of one another. There's no place for pride when we see our love grow for one another. Because the only reason any of us can stand before God is if we have repented of our previous life of rejecting him and if we put our faith in Jesus and what he's done. So we haven't earned God's love and we don't earn a greater portion of God's love if we serve people more. We can only serve Christ because Christ first loved us and called us to serve him. See, hearing the gospel every day of our lives is the cure that we need to our pride and our tendency to puff ourselves up. We just need to hear about Jesus and say, it's only because of him that I can serve. It's only because of him that I can love other people. It's only because of him that I have any hope at all. And then alongside his humility, Paul tells the elders here, he also served the Lord with tears. Verse 19. See, even as Paul demonstrates his great love for Christians, even as he demonstrates in this speech just how precious other Christians are to him, he's never sentimental about that. Because the thing is, we can all believe that at times other Christians are precious to us when those other Christians are kind to us, when those other Christians support us, when they encourage us. But Paul's love for these Christians in Ephesus, his service for them, was not dependent on those things. He served the Lord at Ephesus even with tears, even through tears, even when that was hard, when he himself was struggling, when he himself was feeling unsupported. You see, Christian love is never just a sentimental feeling or a glow we have in ourselves. Because God's love is not sentimental. God's love is physical 
God's love to us is a broken body hanging on a tree, rejected and suffering so that we might be set free, so that we might be forgiven. And we need to learn from that. When we say Christians are precious to us, it's not about sentiment. It's about I want to show these Christians how precious they are to me in the way I treat them, in the things I say to them, the things I do for them. And it leads us on to a question, really. What do we look for in a church? So often the things we look for in a church are quite different to the way Paul describes church here. We look for, for good teaching. We look for great worship. We look for a commitment to evangelism. We look for a sense of community that we all long for. And all these things are good, and they're necessary even. But do we also see church as a place to serve others? So do we see church as a group of people we can serve alongside, and weep alongside, and struggle alongside, as we grapple to understand the gospel of God's grace ourselves, and as we seek to share that gospel with those around us? And let's be clear, there are huge benefits when we do that. See, Paul's honest, there are tears, but there's also joy and benefits to that. See, Paul isn't calling on us to grit our teeth and be nice to one another. Paul's telling us that by serving and loving one another, we will gain a greater and deeper understanding of God's love and service of us in sending Jesus. It's by serving others that we actually worship Jesus and grow in our love for him. But Paul is also clear in verse 24. The Christian life is a race, and as a race, it requires endurance. Verse 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. See, the race he's describing, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And the question he asks of himself in Ephesus is a question we need to ask of ourselves today in our lives. How can I testify to the gospel of God's grace in my life? How can I help those around me see God's grace more clearly and what he has done through Jesus more clearly today? Through what I do and through what I say. Because that's what Paul lived for, he says in verse 24. The others would just recognize how gracious God is. I just imagine if that was what we lived for as a church. Imagine if we could all say, the reason I am alive is to testify to the gospel of God's grace. The reason I am alive is to show other people the grace that I have received from God, that I have received through Jesus. And see, if that's what we were living for, then we'll be totally committed to evangelism, for people to know this grace of God. And we'll be totally committed to loving one another, that one another, in all our feelings and our stumblings, would know that God is gracious. God is able to use us. God is able to change us. And he invites us to trust in him. Is that what we will live for? So that others will learn more of God's grace through us, through me, 
That's what Paul lived for, he tells us here. And then in verses 28 to 31, Paul tells the Ephesian elders, the church is worth serving and suffering for, and the church is worth protecting, he says. And the picture he uses here is a a well-known one. The idea of the church being a flock of sheep and their enemies being savage wolves. Just read verses 29 to 30. He says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. See, and Paul warns the elders here, Christians cannot afford to be naive. Christians will have enemies. And those enemies will be intent on destroying the flock. And some of those enemies will come clearly from outside the church. But at other times, and perhaps more worryingly for us, those enemies will come even from your own number, Paul says. So Paul urges the Ephesian elders to protect their churches, both from outside enemies, and amazingly, from their own hearts. From their own hearts as leaders of that church. And see, that warning again is equally true for us today. Even Christian leaders are capable of becoming savage wolves if they do not keep a watch over themselves, as Paul urges them to here. So again, I want to encourage you all this morning Don't believe everything I or anyone else says from the front on a Sunday morning. Test what we are saying through God's Word because we need you to help us keep a watch over ourselves. The greatest gift in some ways that God has given Christian leaders to keep a guard in their hearts are other Christians who can point out where they're going wrong, where they're beginning to twist things, where they're beginning to emphasize certain things and forget other things. So I urge you all to do that, to listen to what it said. And if it doesn't make sense, if you don't think it sounds quite right, to, to, to pray about that, to talk to us about that. Because we need to test ourselves against Scripture if we're leaders and if we're any Christian at all. See, again, that is true of all of us. If Christian leaders will fall away, anyone will fall away. We all need to test our hearts against God's word so we can protect ourselves against false teaching and so we can protect one another from that false teaching as well. Verse 28 tells us, keep a watch over yourselves and all the flock. Basically what he's saying is watch yourself so you can help others. It's a bit like those safety demonstrations you get on airplanes at the beginning of the flight and the aerostats comes out and demonstrates various things to you to be aware of in case of an emergency. And in those demonstrations, passengers are told that if the air pressure fails in the cabin, then oxygen masks will drop down to help them. But the key is they need to put their own oxygen mask on first before they try and help anyone else. See, if you try to help someone else put on their mask before you put your own on, you yourself could lose consciousness and you don't help yourself and you don't help the other person. And see, Paul's saying here, it's the same with false teaching. The atmosphere we all breathe in every day is an atmosphere hostile to God, hostile to God's words. And see, we need our oxygen masks on if we're going to help one another, 
We need the breath of God at work in us, through his word, by his spirit, to help us have life in what is a suffocating world without him. So before we can teach and encourage others in our home groups, in our friendship groups, we need to keep a watch on ourselves. And then we can help one another. If we're beginning to get things wrong in our understanding of God, if we're beginning to lose faith, if we see someone beginning to resent God or to be attracted to some unhelpful teaching. See, we need to be committed to protecting others. And to do that, first and foremost, we need to keep a watch on ourselves. And then we're equipped to do that and to protect one another. But obviously that can be difficult. Because very few of us enjoy challenging others. And if you do enjoy challenging others, you need to look very closely at your heart. Because that is another symptom of pride. But having said that, we do need to love one another enough to say, I'm worried about you. To say, you keep saying that. What do you mean by that? To pray for someone and to listen to what they're saying. So we can actually help one another protect ourselves from the enemy. Who is real and who wants to devour us. See, for Paul, other Christians are worth protecting. And the question for us is, do we love those around us enough to risk a friendship, to risk challenging them in that way? So as Paul comes to the end of his speech to the Ephesian elders, he's clear with them that serving other Christians is going to be hard work sometimes. It's verses 32 and 35. Now verses 33 to 35 demonstrate again that Paul's a man of integrity. He's saying it again and again in this speech. This time he's talking about money in these verses. And a key part, he says, of keeping a watch on yourself is watching our attitude towards money, how we spend our money. Again, Paul's saying here to these leaders, watch your attitude towards wealth. If you're trusting in money more than in God, you're on dangerous ground. If you're working harder to earn money than you're working hard to serve others, you're on dangerous ground. And we need to learn from Paul here. He leaves big questions with the Ephesian elders, challenging them to examine their hearts in this area. And he challenges us to examine our hearts too. But before we finish, I want us to look at maybe two encouragements that Paul gives these elders in verse 32 and in verse 28. Because throughout this speech, Paul has been emphasizing service. He's been talking about struggle, suffering, hard work. And he wants the Ephesian elders to be prepared for that. See, loving and serving other Christians, Paul said, will never be easy. Other Christians are still sinners, and so are we. And Christians have enemies, physical and spiritual, who are wanting to trip us up and devour us. See, Paul knows that if that is all we hear from this speech, service, struggle, hard work, then we will lose heart. None of us will ever want to be a Christian leader, whether in a home group or junior church or in a church setting. None of us will ever feel up to the task of helping one another if that's all it's all about, service, struggle, hard work. And see, that is why verse 32 is so important. Paul says, Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance 
among all those who are sanctified. See, Paul reminds himself and he reminds the Ephesian elders that the church ultimately is in God's hands. See, how could Paul leave the Ephesian Christians in such a hostile and difficult world? The answer is because he can entrust them to God and to the word of God's grace. See, Paul didn't have to stay at Ephesus. He didn't have to live these Christian lives for them to protect them. Instead, Paul was able to entrust them to the God of grace. And Paul was able to leave them with the word of God's grace. See, Paul knows ultimately, under all the hard work and struggle and suffering, that God is good and that God is gracious and that God can be trusted with this church in Ephesus. If the church leaders are genuinely seeking to serve and care for one another, then they can trust that God will do what is right in their church. See, behind all their efforts stands the God of grace, and Paul wants the Ephesian elders to see that. I want to say we need to hear that as well today. Even as we seek to serve and care for one another in a church, we need to accept that we cannot live other people's lives for them. That's vital for us to understand, for our own health and sanity, if nothing else. See, Christian parents need to hear that. Christian parents see their children make mistakes, and it is heartbreaking for them. They long to be able to step in and say, no, don't do it like that. I made that mistake. I don't want you to make that mistake. But you see, there comes a point where they need to just step back and say, I entrust my child to the hands of the God of grace. And we pray for them. But we cannot live their lives for them. And the same applies to all of us, to home group leaders. If someone's in the home group that you're really worried about, you cannot live their life for them. What you can do is entrust them to the God of grace to junior church teachers, to youth leaders, to all of us who have friends in this church that we care for, that we want to see grow and grow in their love for God. But we cannot live their lives for them. What we need to realize is we need to trust God and entrust them into his hands. Because he is gracious and he is good. So we need to hear that. It's vital for us in our service for one another. It's vital in our evangelism as well. That we cannot force others to believe the gospel. But we can share it and entrust them to the God of grace. So as we come to the end then of this speech of Paul's, it's really clear from this speech that the church, that other Christians, are precious to Paul. He tells the Ephesian elders that other Christians are worth suffering for. They're worth serving. They're worth protecting. They're worth the hard work it will involve in caring for them. But as we finish, we need to see the key to Paul's perspective. Just why is Paul so willing to serve and suffer and protect and work hard for other Christians? Why does Paul say that other Christians are worth that effort? When we look at our own lives and think, I don't think I'm worth that. Well, see, the answer comes at the end of verse 28, where Paul tells them, 
be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. You see, God thinks other Christians are worth it. God thinks other Christians are worth that suffering and struggle and hard work it will take sometimes to care for one another. And the hard work and struggle we ourselves will be to other Christians. God thinks we're worth that. And he's shown just how precious we are in it by by sending his son to die for us. By purchasing us. Purchasing us through his blood. And this is an attitude we need to keep in ourselves. Because when you're struggling to love another Christian, when someone is just very difficult for you to love, you need to put that person's face in your head and say, this is someone for whom Christ died. This is someone so precious to God He thought the death of his son was necessary to rescue them. As we think about one another, we need to see one another in that light. Because that is the key to Paul's care for the church in Ephesus. And it will be the key to our care and service of one another. See, it matters to God how we see one another and how we treat one another. Because as Christians, we are a group of people for whom Christ died. And Paul is very clear on that here. And so for us to treat someone with contempt, for us to resent someone in this church, someone who God thought was worth dying for, is a very dangerous thing for us to allow to foster and grow in our hearts. See, in a few moments we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper together, communion together. And in the New Testament, that was a time when Christians would come together And if they had a grudge or a sinful attitude towards someone else within the church, as they would prepare to take the bread and the wine, that would be an opportunity for them to ask for forgiveness from God, to ask God to cleanse that attitude from them, to ask God to heal that relationship with that individual. I'm going to invite us to do that in a moment. But before we do that, We just need to see Paul's words here again. To recognize that Christians are worth this struggle he describes in Acts 20. But they're worth it not because they're good people, not because we are good people, but because we have been bought with the blood of Jesus. And it's at that cost that God demonstrated just how precious we are. God's love is not sentimental. It is costly. Our love for one another will be costly at times. But we are called to imitate Christ's love for us as we care for one another, as we wait for him to return.